Welcome to From Fear to Fire, secrets to overcome fear, embrace your gifts, and achieve success. This is the place where real people share real challenges and where you can find a common bond and uncommon wisdom through their journeys to help you move from fear to fire. I am your host, Heather Hansen O'Neill, and our quote today is by Milton Friedman, and it is, only a crisis, real or perceived, produces real change. And today we have Jeremy Sherman, PhD, and he has been on many of the rides in life's amusement park. For example, in his 20s, he was an engineer getting water to poor Guatemalan villages and was also an elected elder in the world's largest hippie commune. I think this is going to be an interesting show. What do you think? During a juicy midlife crisis, he pivoted to academic research on the questions that were eating at him, and he now calls himself a cradle-to-grave researcher, collaborating with the Berkeley neuroscientist on everything from chemical origins of life to our grave situation today. Sherman is the author of a Columbia University Press book about life's origins, but also a thousand articles for psychology today about everyday doubts and decision making. I think this is going to be a fantastic show. Jeremy, welcome. How are you today? I'm very well. It's eight o'clock in the morning, but I am uh, bright eyed and bushy tailed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love to hear it. Maybe we need you at eight o'clock in the morning. You might you might be a little bit too much for us at 11 a.m. right now. I have been, I have been too much for people. I, you know, I love that. I have never been someone who um, it, it doesn't embrace that. That is for sure. I'm often told that myself. So talk to me about this whole like midlife crisis thing. I see that. And it's so funny for people to like completely embrace it. So you made a big pivot during yes, that time. Yeah. And actually, I should say, I just turned 65 last June, um, which means I'm no longer midlife, uh, which means that I, I got in two midlife crises. Oh, good um, for you. Yeah. <laughs> and I tried to squeeze in a third one, but I just didn't have time. I, I ran out. So so if I have another crisis, it's going to have to be an old man crisis. <laughs> anyway, they were um, they were grueling. Um, uh, and uh, and I am ever so grateful for them. I mean, I was. Uh, uh, I was cultivated. I'm a California boy, so the, the, I was cultivated as a sensitive uh, new age guy before the new age. I w- I'm a little too old for the new age, but um, but I did. Uh, these were I cried a lot, like daily during these midlife crises, and um, and yet I I I gained a lot from it um, from both of them, and um, and I and in a way I think I I, I couldn't pull off a third one because. They these two had reoriented me um, so effectively um, that since then I have been lowering my expectations, and that's something I'd like to make kind of a theme here. Um, uh, uh, more smoothly, that is, I've been letting go of certain ideals that I had held about how my life should go. Um, I'd been settling more and more into reality, but these were two big cosmic wedgies. These were big, two, yeah, two, two, big, two, two big wallops um, that that reoriented me nicely. So I'm grateful for them. But they were disappointing at the time. It was a kind of grief at the uh, at the at the end of some dreams I had, which were just the dreams that that you start out with if you tend to be kind of idealistic and enthusiastic. 
about making big differences, being a, being important, being useful in the world. Oh my gosh. You know what? You've already just, there's so many things that this is leading to for me. So I definitely want to come back to the expectation thing because isn't it the expectations that we have that cause us suffering, right? That's So I definitely want to come back to that. But what do you feel like there was a shift in maybe who you were, or how you how you saw the world, or or what changed between who you were before these things happened and after? Well, I've been thinking about that actually. It came back up in the last couple of days. Um, uh, there were people I dreaded the possibility of being. You know, it, it, there's a, there was a part of me I would say before these midlife crises that. Uh, would have been inclined to say it. Uh, I, it's not what you think. I'm not. I'm not like that. Um, and uh, I felt during the first one, especially, like a fish played out on high test line. You know how fish can get exhausted if you're fishing and you, you you've got a line that's not going to break. It's just holding you, uh, and you're wriggling against it. And at some point, you're just kind of played out. Um, so that's how I feel about some of those uh, ideals I had. I had had. And in my case, I, I was extremely lucky. I, I really do uh, attribute it to dumb luck, which is that um, often when you're disappointed, um, uh, you, you, you just have to settle for less. Well, I ended up settling for more. I mean, what I got once I released myself from these expectations that I would be a certain kind of person instead of these other kind of people that I would dreaded being. Um, no, all sorts of uh, avenues open for me uh, to where I really got to live a second life after these midlife crises that has just felt glorious. I'm kind of, I still pinch myself 25 years after these midlife crises at the, uh, at the, at the fun I get to have. Um, I love that. I'm yeah. a big fan of fun. And I love when, you know, when what you're saying here about once you let go of the expectation, you thought it would be less than, but it was actually more than, and you are not alone. I find that a lot. Then what, when we let go of what we think should happen, we end up with something better than what we had imagined. Yes. And I, I'm assuming that's a, so I'm, I'm really interested in the concept of romance. My, uh, my Psychology Today uh, blog is called Ambigamy, Insights for the Deeply Romantic and Deeply Skeptical. I think a lot about what romance means, and I think it's the assumption that like a phoenix, you'll rise. It's basically romance, whether we're talking about in partnership or in uh, spirituality or any realm, is the happily ever after dream. It's basically what we get from summer blockbuster fiction. That is, things may be dire, but they're guaranteed to turn out. I do not have that assumption anymore. I think that would be disrespectful to people who have to settle for less and know they don't get some gift on the other side of it. But I do think, yes, there are. we should be looking for uh, that. You could call it even a consolation prize. I mean, my consolation prize is better than what I was holding out for before. Mm -hmm. But I cannot say that that is a universal rule for all people. There are lots of consolation prizes that are meager compared to what you're holding out for. Disappointment happens is what I mean. Disappointment happens. Yes, it certainly, it certainly does. Now, 
I, I, you know, it's funny when you mention things, when you, when anyone comes on and they use a, a fire analogy or, you know, you're talking about the Phoenix, this is, this is what I, this is what I do. This is part of my branding, right? So the whole yeah. rising from the ashes thing is, is, is something that I help people through, right? So if you, if you were bursting into flames and and you wanted that like piece of advice to hold on to, like, what well, could you give somebody who's in the midst of that, that's going to ha- go through this, this rebirth to, you know, f- for instance, what would you tell them? Like, what could you, what advice would you give them right now? If they're in the heart of that, in the heat of that. Yeah. So, so what comes to mind first, uh, I had, I have, I had a friend, um, a young woman friend who had been in a terrible marriage and got out of it uh, the very hard way. Um, uh, she she extricated herself from it. It was very difficult. She was just starting her new life. It was uh, it, it was Phoenix time, mm-hmm. and then she was diagnosed with a terrible cancer mm. that was terminal. And she confided in me that she was trying to assess whether her life was um, whether she had been a good person or a bad person. Standard stuff. I think even I'm, I happen to be an atheist, but there's something in humans that think that this is a test. And at the end, we'll find out whether we passed or failed or yes. yes. uh, yes. So, so she had some of that going on. And I, I thought of a line I like from the Tao Te Ching, which is that the master makes use of all circumstances. And um, I would I would qualify that and say the master tries to make use of all circumstances. <laughs> Not like you can you can know for sure how to do it. But I proposed to her that she come up with some question, that she um, some some challenge to give herself in her remaining time. It was it, it was terminal, mm-hmm. and and in her case, um, she got married the day before she died, and I thought that was just exquisite. Yeah. She she had she had felt like she wanted to she wanted to have uh, I mean I'm, I'm not saying it was tied to my advice I'm not saying that I had that much influence on her but at least from my perspective this idea of um, trying to figure out something to do while you're um, while you're feeling lost some some project to make out of it some question um, that's not as sweeping as am I a good person or a bad person but right. can I do this you know, can I, can I get better at this one thing um, is what comes to mind at the moment. I uh, probably, after this interview, I'll think of something better, but that was, that was what came to mind. <laughs> I like that one because it's tied to purpose, but it doesn't have to be like this overriding, you know, good versus evil thing, but it's like, what can I do? What can I contribute? How can I do this one thing? And, and I, I really like that. Yeah. And I, and, and it's in her case, it wasn't so much about contributing, but about it was really for her mm-hmm. what 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 challenge do you think you might still have time to meet mm-hmm. um her situation was truly dire and and also um yeah it uh yeah see i can't think about a, a bigger cosmic wedgie than that except perhaps the end of the world i mean the end of one's life is really dire that but anyway but there wedgie. but there was at least for me during the um during that mid midlife crisis, the two of them, uh, mm-hmm. there were eventually, um, I got I got intrigued with some project related to it that gave me a way to channel um, my my grief into something that 
that became kind of like a thread I could follow out into it, and it it got it got uh, sturdier and sturdier until by then, by the end of it, I had a rope to pull myself out of the the dark place. I like that. You know what, Jeremy? I like when you speak. Um, it's very easy to visualize what you're saying. And, and that, you know, when you're, you're doing an audio podcast, that's really important, right? And I'm listening to you and I can see this, everything that you're saying, I can see it. And I like that a lot. Is there something that, that fires you up right now? Like now that you're on the other side of it, is there something that's kind of getting you excited? Oh, oh yeah. No, for the last 25 years, I've been, um, no, it's been rip snorting fun. I've, uh, um, I, I am not a rags to riches story. I'm a riches to whatever this is a story. I inherited money at a young age. Um, and it actually did, you'd think that's a lot of freedom and it really is, but it's also in a way a constraint on someone with a hyperactive conscience. Um, I really felt like I was gonna have to do something very important in the world um, in order to justify having inherited basically a lifetime salary at a young age. Um, uh, some of the things that I shed along the way was the sense that I needed some kind of outward outward proof of my social status. That I was really quite obsessed with the, the cocktail party thing. You know, what are you going to say about yourself at a cocktail party? Mm -hmm. And I was also really drawn to, um, uh, you could say, uh, speculative ventures to try and do something useful in the world. I had founded a national lobbying organization on environmental issues, the kind of stuff that doesn't necessarily work. Um, um, at some point, I, I, I swapped all of that out. I stopped caring so much how I looked. Um, I started shedding the need for those trappings. I mean, as recently as 10 years ago, I noticed that if I didn't need money because I had inheritance and investment, I didn't really need status. Uh, that's, the status is, uh, is absolutely essential, essential if you need to keep food on the table, and it does give you some leverage. But I realized I actually just want to lean into um, doing the best possible job I can of taking careful notes on what it's like to be one of us in the, this universe. And I had, mm -hmm. I'd fallen into that line of work. I mean, I, I fell in about 25 years ago with this guy who was a Harvard neuroscientist, biological anthropologist, who was dealing with huge questions about us. Um, the origins of life one being a big one, but, and not, not just a chemical origins, it is chemical, but it's basically what is trying because all organisms try and non-living things don't. So what is trying and how did it start was a big question. So here's where I am now. I, I, I don't end up, I get the status comes and go I, you know, I, I, I write articles that get 200 page views. I get out, write articles that get half a million. Um, I pay a little attention to that. I definitely feel more, feel more buoyed when buoyed when I get a, a lot of uh, um, uh, attention, but it's not a big deal. I can realize by, I realize by now that the world is flooded with people trying to get mm. attention and influence things. And my stuff is not going to make that kind of difference. So the currency I pay myself in is insights. And as long as I get new insights and write them up pretty much every day, um, I'm happy. I'm just delighted. So it's like Christmas every day to get new insights in the, on, the, on the big questions that I'm dealing with. That's my, that's my source of satisfaction. And 
I, you know, in the evening I play music in, in bands, soul, funk, jazz, uh, world music bands. Um, I sing and play bass. Uh, that's about, that's about the heart of my life. I mean, I just do that stuff. Um, and, and I will continue to do it, uh, as, as long as I can. You know, it's interesting. Um, a, I seem to be drawn to a, a, a tremendous number of musicians lately. So that is super cool. Um, there's something about, about the way that you, you see the world. And, and I love that you are focusing on those really big questions. And it, it takes me back to a recent podcast that I did um, with Dr. Um, Eben Alexander about consciousness and the connectedness that we all have. And it just screams out to me this sense of connection to things that are outside of us. And I think that's, that's very cool. Now, I know that you write a lot about romance. You mentioned it already. Now, you alluded to this whole happily ever after belief. Is that something that you believe in or don't believe in? Can you share a little bit more about that? I, yes. Um, I th so uh, to talk about the, the overall arch of my cradle to grave research, I'm very attentive to the origins of effort organisms trying to stay alive i'm hyper attention attentive also to um language having acquired language is i would argue what makes humans uh this radically different kind of organism uh from other organisms um is that we we can imagine all sorts of things and that would make us extremely anxious and it would also give us ways to escape our anxieties um and I would think that romance is part of that. So um, Suzuki Roshi, a, a, a Buddhist monk, says life is like getting on a boat that's about to sink. <laughs> um, and that's true for all organisms. That is, we, we are going to die. Um, and humans are the only ones who really recognize that in great detail. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is a that is a fascination for me. And yes, we would. I was just thinking the other day, if we if life is like getting on a boat that's about to sink, then there, the romantic part of us would like to shed the boat because it's about to sink, mm -hmm. and we would like to transcend and rise to some higher state where we're safe and free. And and so I I study a lot about how religions and spiritualities deal with this romantic impulse in us so yes i believe that that impulse is big in us mm -hmm. and yes i think we need to exercise it i believe in optimal illusion kidding ourselves um about uh our dire situation um but no i don't believe that that's actually how life turns out um it doesn't usually end well for many of us, I mean, for most of us, that is the last days are usually not glorious. Mm -hmm. And no, there is no huge, uh, you know, reward for success uh, for the life well lived. I don't believe in that stuff. But I do believe that we all need that. Um, because the, the, the fundamental, I'd say, spiritual question we're all dealing with is how do you throw all into life knowing you'll be thrown out? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so, yeah, so I, I, I do a lot of writing about the importance of having beliefs like that, but not entirely believing them. Um, <laughs> and, and, there's, and there's great examples of how we do it. I mean, I, I watch lots of uh, fiction on TV and I read some, but mostly I read nonfiction. And when I'm in it, I'm totally, I'm, 
I completely believe the romantic story, though mm-hmm. I know it's not true. And, and Shakespeare has a great line about this. He's talking about it in romantic relationship. He says, when my love is ba- uh, when my love says she is made of truth, I do believe her, though I know she lies. <laughs> it's perfect. So, there's, so I'm really interested in how to, how to get the romantic experience without believing it entirely, because it tends to get a little dangerous if you believe that stuff entirely, that you will, that you will rise like a phoenix and, and be above everybody else. It gets a little dangerous in this world. Um, that, you know, that you will, the happily ever after is something we need and until a little dangerous is what I'm trying to say. Okay, so is that what you mean when you describe yourself as a romantic fatalist? Is that how is that 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 contradiction that you're describing right now? Um, yes, that's what that's what I mean. It, that is, I have friends who, I have friends who are true romantics, and some of this is just a function of temperament. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have friends who claim to be total realists, and I actually don't think either of those is a survivable or tenable way to live a life. Um, so I'm kind of a romantic cynic. I'm deeply romantic <laughs> and deeply cynical. And I don't see, I don't try to reconcile them. I, I need both. Escapism is inescapable for humans. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you just compare what you could worry about to what a dog could worry about, it's just overwhelming for humans. It's just outrageous. The amount of real and imaginary direct and indirect threats and missed opportunities you could deal with Anyone, any one of us is dealing with language is quite the burden this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives us easy ways to escape or deny or talk ourselves out of worrying about things. I want the tension between the two. I want to be deeply romantic and deeply cynical, um, not fatalistic in the sense of uh, nothing matters. I do not subscribe to that at all. It matters a lot. Um, I end up thinking that actually the heart of it is what I'll call irony, what we call irony. Mm-hmm. That is, life is extremely dire because it's slapstick. That is, you can <laughs> you can guess right and have it turn out wrong. Um, your timing could be off by minutes, you know, yeah. and and it could cost you your life. And so I end up I end up thinking irony is is the adaptive response to to our situation deeply romantic deeply caring about making things work and also recognizing that we're fumbling in the dark all of us so that's that's where i end up on that you know it's it's really interesting i feel like there's this energy in this association with that contradiction like it gives life and and the contradiction itself gives meaning oh yes yes over and over yeah um yeah and it also it it's tied to something that uh, that I picked up in in philosophy. One of the mm-hmm. one of the philosophers in my lineage, uh, that is uh, someone who I have studied, uh, is an American philosopher from the turn of the century. Not well known, though he, the terms he coined were were important. His name's Charles Sanders Peirce, and he coined the term pragmatism. He coined, coined the term semiotics, um, and he coined the term fallibilism. And this was actually coming back around. This was my big takeaway from my two midlife crises. Mm -hmm. Fallibilism is the recognition that uh, no matter how hard you make, how no no matter how carefully you make your bets, they are still bets. Mm -hmm. So no matter how confident I am in a bet, I remain still more confident that it is a bet. That nothing is a hundred percent. 
mm-hmm. that you can that you can guess right and things turn out wrong. And it's not the same thing as saying, hey, all bets are uh, uh, they're 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 all just bets. All bets are equally so I, equal, so I can believe whatever I want, or it doesn't matter what you believe. Or bets are futile. No, we have to bet very carefully in our lives. It matters, but at the same time, you recognize that um, these are bets, and so it's sort of what ended up replacing that idea of being judged at the end for having a good life or a bad life. Is a is a the relief of when I make an error. The mantra is okay. I'll adjust. I'll I'll, I'll I'll recalibrate a little bit. It's not. It's no longer a question of whether I'm a good person or a bad person, uh, as if a good person is someone who always bets right. Yeah. That's why I. Which is why I I have I I reject completely the idea of transcendence or enlightenment. Mm-hmm. The idea that anybody could ever achieve a perfect score. If they did, it'd be dumb luck. It's not like that in this world. <laughs> you so know, I'm a I, devout fallibilist is what I am. I love that. I love your terms, Jeremy. And I have to ask you because see, this is a passion project of mine, but what do you think about fear? Oh, um, I'm grateful for it. Um, it keeps me uh, awake. I, 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 I didn't mention this among the rides I've had in the amusement park. I had 2,000 hours of Freudian psychoanalysis starting at the age of eight. Um, I had five years and then I had five years again in my 30s. And um, I think it made me the, the peculiarly shame, shameless guy I am. <laughs> um, I mean, that and also... Uh, my financial safety. A lot of people have to watch out, and they got obligations to co- appear a certain way in public, and mm-hmm. uh, and all of that. I don't have that. That's just dumb luck. But I would say that um, it was. It, it, I don't think there was anything Freudian much going on in the therapy, in part because these guys were not talking to me. You know, you're sitting there, you're lying on the couch, and 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 you're talking, and they barely say a word to you. So, mm-hmm. but I do think what it did was it inured me to my fears. Uh-huh. I I can't, I. I I talked a lot. I um, I skirted the stuff that terrified me, and then I got a little closer to it, maybe with some promptings from these psychoanalysts. Um, and then I got to where I got to where I would fall asleep whenever I got near anything that terrified me. I actually be falling asleep on the couch there. Um, I am a napper by nature, but I have a feeling that this was actually a psychological effect uh, of getting close to my fears. Then at some point, I got to where I kind of nervously laughed about my fears uh, at my at what scared me, mm-hmm. and then the the gradually the the fear got easier. Um, and this is, uh, that is, that is, I actually got to a state of irony about it mm-hmm. to where it's, I, I, I feel like uh, who, I landed in this position. I'm a mid-sized mammal with this newfangled thing, language, which we got only recently and really changes everything. I mean, it's quite the wrench in the works to have language. That's what I am. So whatever idealizations I have of me or fears about what I am, um, those recede because, and this is through the science I study, I'm actually, I'm just looking at what I ended up being. And it's kind of a hoot. Um, it's a dire hoot. That is, I have to do, I have to live right. But um, but it is kind of amusing. We are, there is something tragic comic about being a human. And so, so that's what I think ended up happening with my, my fears. 
So, um, so for someone who might be experiencing any of our listeners right now, who might be overwhelmed in that state in, in one side of it, in the, in the tragedy part of that fear, is there anything that you can share with them? Any advice that you have on, on how to find that balance, how to find the comic maybe? Oh, see, I it, see it's important to me um, to, to not give advice as if I know the situation. For example, I haven't dealt with cancer yet. Um, not directly. I, uh, you know, my parents died of it, but I haven't had it yet. So I have to be, I have to be very respectful of how different it is once you get in uh, once you're actually trapped in a situation that's terrifying or that your your primary loved one or your children have some horrible situation happen or that you're dealing with some incredibly gross unfairness in this world. Um, I, I am in the business of the consolations of philosophy, an old concept, but I also recognize their limitations. You know, if, if I had horrible back pain, I'm not sure that consolations of philosophy would be much consolation. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I do, I, here's one thing that came to me once. Uh, I was partnered to, I would say, the love of my life. Um, and she came down with a horrible illness. And I was trying to figure out what to do with it. And I, something just came to me, I can't even remember in the context. Um, uh, I imagine walking down a local street here and one of those pollsters with a um, clipboard came up to me and said, can I ask you a couple of questions? Um, and I said, sure. And this is just a fantasy, but I think it, it, it relates. He says, can, in this world, can you imagine a situation like this occurring? That is, is it possible in this world that such a thing as befell my, my partner uh, could happen? And I nod and say, sure, yeah, in this world, this world contains multitudes. It contains all sorts of things. So yeah, okay. And it, the second question from this pollster is, and can you think of a reason why you would be exempt from that? That is why it couldn't happen to you. And I'd say, no, I can't think of any reason why that not. And then the third question, which I don't answer, is just, and what does this say about the world? What does it say about the world that it could contain this and that there is no way to, that you haven't got an exemption from it? That's all. Um, I, I hope that made sense. But what I'm trying to say is that um, there is a way in which, to the extent you can, you can, ex you can zoom out and notice that the world contains these horrors and that there is no way for any of us to exempt ourselves from that. And that what we can all be doing here is trying to take in what this is, really. That is, to the extent you can relax the need for romance or get it by other means on the side, the way I do, for example, watching movies at night, um, you can really stop trying to have the world be other than it is and just notice what this place is. I, I think of it as anthro interest. Uh, anthro-introspection, anthro um, you're, you're trying to understand what it is to be a human, and you're setting aside all of the romantic reassurances and just looking at the predicament that we ended up falling into without a packing slip, without instructions. We just, we drop down here and we are these, we are these creatures um, 
groping and groping in the uncertainty with the power of language, which both confuses us and clarifies, we are a more visionary and more delusional creature than any other. Um, uh, and so that's that's. I see, I see this as acceptance, right? When we get to yeah. there's a there's a lot of battling through the years. There's a lot of fighting against what is, but that when you get to that level of acceptance of what is it then frees you to it does yeah come right to, to yeah and i would say it's actually it's it's macro acceptance because mm, i end up dealing with this you're 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 not accepting everything i i i have trouble with buddhism having spent some time with it there's a there's a there's an argument you know that that uh, you can't change anything in the world, that uh, all you can do is change your attitude about it, that kind of thing. We're seeing less of that, I'd say, these days, but there was a time when that extreme was popular. Uh, don't sweat the small stuff, it's all small stuff. No, I don't, I don't buy that. Uh, I think I'm tr- I end up with the serenity prayer, and not because I'm religious, but because I'm always trying to figure out what I should accept and what I shouldn't accept. Mm-hmm. That's the guesswork of life. But the macro acceptance that this is the deal and there's no transcending it, I end up thinking is quite the liberation. I, th- I agree. You know, I do. I agree with you. I, I do find it very freeing. And unbelievably, this just like flew by. Um, so how can people get a hold of you? How can, how can they find out more about you and what you're doing? And I know that we have a, a PDF version of your new book that, that we're going to put a a link to on our site, right? Tell us a little bit more for people. Yeah, so uh, you can find way too much of me simply by uh, <laughs> uh, Googling um, Jeremy Sherman. Um, okay. uh, Jeremy Sherman and Psychology Today will, will send you to my two blog sites there. Um, but I also have a, a new consolidation um, site, a website called jeremysherman.com. Okay. Um, I'm hyperactive on Facebook. Uh, I use it differently for most people. It's very rare that I share a meal on there. I mean, but but what I use it as is my commonplace book. This is an idea from the 1800s where uh, you had it, basically it's an intellectual journal. So every time I have an idea, and it's usually like t- five to 10 times a day, I'll pop up uh, some bumper sticker side the size thing on Facebook. And, uh, and I say yes to people who, who want to connect with me there. Um, and I'm I'm accessible by email. It's js at jeremysherman.com. I uh, I'm very available. But Jeremy, uh, yeah. So js at jeremysherman.com is how you'd email me, and also just jeremysherman.com is a website where I've consolidated a lot of the stuff I do, I do. Excellent. We'll put for those of you listening right now, um, we will put direct links to all of those in the show notes for you so that you can easily access Jeremy if you want some more of this really cool stuff that he's talking about. Jeremy, you have been amazing. And I know we've gone a little bit over, but I'd still like you to leave us with that one thing, that one burning thing that you really want every listener to walk away with. Well, I, I would say it's the fallibilist mantra. Um, which is no matter how confident I am in a bet, I remain still more confident that it is a bet. Mm-hmm. That there's no escaping betting. We're betting what to do. Um, and so uh, I have found that extremely liberating in a life that started out with me uh, vying not for perfection, but for uh, z- zero 
fear of failure. I don't have that as much as I did because, um, because of fallibilism. Interesting. So fascinating chatting with you, Jeremy. And I just have loved, really enjoyed the time that we've spent here today. Those of you who are listening, if you have enjoyed this time as much as I have, I bet some of your friends would too. So share the show, leave us a review, let us know what you think. We totally love that. And we will see you again next week. Jeremy, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on the show. 